Joshua chapter 6. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none went in, came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with a ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall, shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city shall fall down flat. And the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. And Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said unto them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said unto the people, Pass on and compass the city and let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass when Joshua had spoken unto the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord before followed them. And the armed men went before the priests that blew with the trumpets, and the rear, rearward came after the ark, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And Joshua had commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth, until the day I bid you shout, then shall ye shout. So the ark of the Lord compassed the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took the ark of the Lord. And seven priests, bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, went on continually, and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, and the rearward came after the ark of the Lord, the priests going on, and blowing with the trumpets. And the second day they compassed the city once, and returned into the camp, so they did six days. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the same day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. And the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye in any wise, and ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed. When ye take of the accursed thing, and make the camp of Israel a curse, and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the shout of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and ass and sheep with the edge of the sword. 
But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out of the country, Go into the harlot's house, and bring out thence the woman, and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, and her mother, and her brethren, and all that she had. And they brought all, uh, brought out all her kindred, and left them with the camp, and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire, and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold, and the vessels of brass and iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive, and her father's household, and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day, because she had hidden the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. Thank you. <clears throat> so the last time we had looked at uh, chapter 5, and uh, there we saw the reinstitution of the covenant signs of circumcision and of the Passover. And the people had joyfully and promptly obeyed Joshua. And we see the picture here in Joshua of a believer. They have gone through the Jordan, the new birth, the picture of new life, and they're baptized. They are now participating of the Lord's Supper, of the, of the signs and of the uh, seal of the, the, the New Testament. And um, they proclaim it when they do so. And we also noted again that Joshua was very faithful in what he did as a leader. Uh, it would have been hard to tell uh, 600,000 guys to get circumcised at an older age. Uh, it could be met with resistance or uh, murmuring, but nevertheless, he did it. And he was faithful to his God and to his, his calling. And did what was best for the people, even though it could have been unpopular, and even though it hurt for a season. With those acts of obedience, we see that the Lord of glory appears to him in the form, or a Christophany, in the form of a chief, a general, a captain, captain of the host. And Joshua knows his Bible, and he immediately recognizes this, and he um, worships him, and he falls down before this captain of the host. <clears throat> and as we looked at, it's only in that state of humility and reverence and realization of, of his lower state, and we should be of our lower state, was he able to be instructed? And um, he, uh, he, he stooped low to his Savior. So I've got four sections this morning. I try to write down points this time around. <laughs> the doomed city, the strange instructions given, the instructions carried out, and grace in the midst of wrath. So in the very first verse, the writer as he often does in Joshua, kind of interjects the conversation that Joshua has here with the Lord, and he gives us some additional information about the city concerning Jericho. So he puts this as an interlude to bring to light how difficult it was, the impossible barrier that was in front of them. 
Jericho was a powerful town. It was a border city. Uh, it had to be conquered if Israel was to proceed in the rest of the country. <clears throat> they couldn't just go around it and go elsewhere. And it was one of the main fortresses of the enemy, a citadel of power and also of severe wickedness. The text says that the city and the king and the chiefs had closed up the city. The literal meaning is shutting and closely shut up. We had previously seen that they were very fearful. Their hearts had melted when they considered all that God had done with Israel in the past. And they were very aware, of course, of the recent miracle just a few kilometers away of a million people or so crossing the Jordan. And, of course, they remembered that two spies had escaped back in chapter 2, and uh, they would have brought the news about the defenses, perhaps, or any of the internal structures of the city. In that state of, state of alarm, they thought it would be best to hide in this fortress. It was uh, unassailable, and no one could get to it, they figured, and they shut the gates, and there they are now. So, remember, it was one of... It was cities like this that back in 40 years ago, back in Deuteronomy 1.18, when the spies came back, they said, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to the heavens. Remember, they brought that, 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 that unbelieving report. It was very negative. And um, 40 years of wandering in the desert ensued. But the city was under a curse and it was already under the judgment of God. And 40 years before, God had spoken to Abraham that this city would be brought down, or this country, the, 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 the Canaan, would be brought down. He said to Abraham, But in the fourth generation shall they come thither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites, Amorites is not yet full. And what a picture of sin this city was, of mankind that is sold under sin. It was doomed, and it had been sentenced to death. They were still clinging, of course, to their man-made solutions in their fight against God. Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And we see that particularly in this city. It's also a picture of man and his incurable wickedness. He sets himself up walls of his own thinking, of his own philosophies, ideas, and they set themselves up against God and his anointed ones. But those walls would be the citizens' own demise, except Rahab, of course. So in vain do they shut themselves up as defiant sinners tend to do. They build walls of their own righteousness, their own gods, their own strengths, or maybe clever tactics. They think they can get out of it. Great picture of fallen humanity. And this account also shows the utter foolishness of fighting against God. No matter how strong your perceived securities are, they're like toddlers, and B has done this on me. She covers up her eyes and says, can you see me now? Thinking that 
because she can't see me, I can't see her. They're like Adam and Eve, thinking that they can hide from God, the very God who spoke the universe into being. Their mind had so fallen that they actually thought they could hide from God himself. Man's long war against God, even though for a season might seemingly to be winning, will be brought to naught. Isaiah forty twenty two, It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as, gra- are as grasshoppers, that stretches out the heavens as a curtain, and that spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Psalm 2, 4, and 5. <clears throat> he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. How utterly futile are those that oppose him. And what a warning it is for those here, even this morning, here in this building, that are still in Jericho, not understanding the judgment that is to come and will come. The strange instructions given. Now we go back to this conversation from started at the last chapter in the end, and we see further instructions from the captain and encouragements. Notice in verse two, where the Lord lets Joshua, uh, where the where the Lord tells Joshua, "You will be given this city in your hand. I have given it to you." That is a promise given from the outset to Joshua, and it sort of echoes the promise back in. Chapter 1, verse 3, that wherever your foot will walk, that place I will give unto you, as he had said unto Moses. Joshua had asked earlier in the previous chapter, what will you have me to do? And he now receives an answer from the Lord. The instructions seem pretty straightforward. For six days, they'll march around the city in a procession, First, the fighting men, and then there will be seven priests with seven rams, <clears throat> ram horns, then the ark, and then fighting men behind. So there doesn't seem to be any women and children or older people. And they would do this with the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant is very central in this account, picturing here once again the nearness of the God of the ark. It was an object of faith represented that God was with his people and that he was not far off. He was in the midst of them. He wasn't at arm's length somewhere else. He was with them. And just like the Lord Jesus told the 11 disciples when he gave the great commission, he says, Lo, I'll be with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. The Lord is with his people and near to them. Their faith was not in the blowing of the trumpets or the shouting, or the silence, but in the God that goes with them and goes before them. In the Ark of the Covenant, of course, was the law whom they were subject to, a reminder of God's holiness, a reminder of the punishment that was in it when there was uh, disobedience or when it was ignored. And they were to do this in in a total silence. In verse 10, it's repeated a number of times, They had to do this in total total silence until that seventh day. Now, you can imagine the proud 
decorated generals of our ages or the ages in history would have mocked and, and laughed at this idea. From Alexander the Great who conquered Greece all the way to India by the time he was 32 or something, to Attila the Hun who had a vast empire, to Napoleon, to recent generals of Rommel and MacArthur and Patton, the World War II era. They would have mocked and ridiculed this, this strategy. Where are my battering devices? Where are my ladders that I can storm the wall with? Or my Spitfires or my Messersmiths, Messersmiths or V2 rockets, they would have said. And from a human point of view, it is very ineffective, of course. That's the point. And it looks like it would fail from the start. John Calvin says the whole scene looks like a children's play. It can't be serious. <clears throat> and here, once again, we see that God places himself central in the victory for all his people. Not that they don't play a role in it, or that there are instructions to be followed, of course, we see that. Yes, for seven days they had to go around, 13 rounds, had to be walked in silence and in a particular order, but it leaves out any type of human strength. God, with these strange instructions given to Israel, is meaning to impart on them that if they're going to conquer anything, it's going to be his way in his time and by his power. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And we don't go to God to counsel him. We wait and we learn from him. We wait for his counsel and rule so that all glory will go to him. And we see, and we see here, <clears throat> no methods that the world would use. Prideful confidence in the flesh, no priding in themselves at the latest chariot, equipped with the best gadgets they could find, no boasting in a giant battering ramp or the giant hammers you see uh, Napoleon or, or some of the other guys use way back to, to burst those walls open. But they had faith and they had courage, they had patience, and they were obedient. And that's how the city would be brought to ruins. And there would be zero boasting in it. All self-sufficiency would be eliminated from, from this plan. <clears throat> Our human condition is such that we would quickly take the credit for something, quickly boasting in our gifts, in our abilities, even though we had a little tiny part in it, rather than giving God the glory for what he has done. How did the Apostle Paul warn us against all boasting or having confidence in the flesh? Philippians 3. Yet doubtless, I can count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. 
if we are to be useful soldiers for the Lord Jesus, we need to be aware of what he said, that I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth in me, and I in him, that bringeth forth much fruit. For, for without me, you can't do nothing. The glory of this, ba this battle would only be attributed to God, who will not give his glory to another. Psalm 83, 18. That men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, are the most high over all the earth. So the Lord takes away anything that can be boasted in, as he does with every sinner as he, that he draws to himself, until, by grace, they give up their futile war against him. And many of you can testify of that. He reduced Gideon's army to 300, lest he would boast in the number of his troops. He made proud Naaman, that great general as well, dip seven times in the river, in a dirty river. Remember, he didn't want to do it. It was beneath him and humbled him. And he did do it at last. How fitting is Paul, Paul's reminder to the Corinthians for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. <clears throat> Notice too, that when Joshua gives the priest instruction, he does not mention um, the promise he had received, that the city was in his hand. They had received earlier promises, but they are simply and unquestionably uh, obliged to obey and they were to do what they were asked of him. The instructions carried out. <clears throat> As we have seen with Joshua before, he is eager, willing, quickly, uh, carries out the instructions that the Lord himself has given him, and they set out on their first day, round one. And picture yourself there, if you can. Massive crowd starts to head towards the city of Jericho. There's that procession in order that the Lord had commanded. The ark there is being central. Sword blasts of the trumpets are being heard. And there was silence from the people. No one spoke, not a word. There was no songs. There was no small talk about the massive walls that they would now look upon. Hundreds of thousands of people in silence, not uttering one word. You get a bit of sense of the solemnity of that, pro, uh, that procession and how impressive it would have been. Their eyes would have been on the ark, the covenant, reminding that God was in their midst. As we look to Jesus as Christians, the author and finisher of our faith constantly. And when they looked at those city walls, the iron gates, perhaps they saw people with, with arrows or with other weapons of warfare on top of those Impressive, impressive walls and if they started to doubt they could once again look upon the ark they would look upon the ark that has just helped them cross the Jordan when it was in the middle and the Jordan had dried up dried up that raging river the ark promised God's nearness and help salvation to them but judgment to the city of Jericho. You can imagine, especially those that were kind of prone to, to worry, thinking, well, are they going to shoot arrows at us? 
Will there be slingshots with massive stones? We're kind of like a walking duck here. Uh, do we look like fools when everybody sees us just walking around with ram's horns? And not even the silver horns that were used elsewhere in the Old Testament. How long before they really start to jeer us and to mock us? But it's not happening. But there is a reference in a holy silence and a quiet obedience. Psalm 89.7 God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. And we notice again in this generation there's a much less proneness to grumble and to complain as it was before. In silence they could remember the promises of God the presence of the ark, his word that they now had, and all that he had done for them in Egypt or very recently at the Jordan. Maybe they mused on the words of Moses. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord, <clears throat> which he show you this day. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen this day, ye shall never see again no more. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And so ended day one. It is likely, likely because the crowd was quite big, that some of them were still marching, but the other ones have um, gone home. Something, the city was a few kilometers, maybe a bit smaller around. So uh, it was not um, impossible to do that in a day, but um, it was a large group. And at the end of the day, nothing happened. We, of course, know the whole story, but the people in that procession did not. Up they went the next day. Early in the morning, they returned again into the camp. Nothing happened. And so it went all week. Perhaps by day four, the inhabitants of Jericho would start to be a little bit more relaxed a little bit more confident about their situation, asking where is their God now? Perhaps the parting of Jordan was a lucky break, you know, earthquake, stream went down or something. Seems strange that they're not fighting us. Perhaps we are safe after all. Isn't that how a sinner tells himself that, you know, judgment is not coming yet, we're, we're okay. Same way that we have the scoffers in our day Peter speaks about him, 2 Peter 3, 4, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And they forget that God is always working out his plans. In the meanwhile, the wrath and judgment was being stored up for these people by the invisible work of God. And sinner, if you're so lost in your sin, don't mistake a delay in judgment for a reprieve of judgment. The Lord is long-suffering with sinners that they may come to repentance. You can also imagine that doubts started to arise in some of the people of Israel. Nothing is happening. All we are doing is walking around. We're no further along in day five and six we're back in Gilgal. What if the people come out of Jericho? 
we've got nowhere to go. We just have tents. They have a strong city. And what a great lesson it is for us. How often does our impatience get in the way? And we come up with our own inventions. Help out God, perhaps, in an unbiblical way to get his goal accomplished. Instead of, for instance, preaching to sinners, faithfully preaching the word of God, the full counsel of God, we make it more acceptable for people. Leave out hell or wrath, the displeasure on, on God, uh, of God on sins or certain sins. We certainly would not let people know about a story like this, about God wiping out an entire city. Some say, well, you cannot preach like that in this age. You will be simply repulsing people by that type of preaching. It may have worked 100 years ago, but not now. Modern man is too sophisticated, uh, too smart to be falling for those type of stories. They will not fall for a worldwide flood or the parting of the water, waters, a virgin birth, a blood atonement, hell, and so on. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 1.27, But God had chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. That God And God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. How foolish it would have looked like from on top of that tower to see these people trumpeting around in quietness. And even for us, even if we have a sound understanding of biblical doctrines, we grow impatient, weary, maybe we wallow in doubt or self-pity at the apparent slowness of God's works, forgetting that we are in day four or five and that God is working his glorious purposes amongst us and in us. <clears throat> we get wary because God doesn't give us a precise timetable about the end of our distresses, the conversion of a loved one, the giving of a child, the removing of that thorn. Paul reminds us, but let us not be wary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. He says again, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as you know that your labor is not in vain of the, in the Lord. <clears throat> and something was happening, was it not? Was God not being honored by and glorified by their obedience? Let us aim for the same, brothers and sisters, and leave the timing and the outcome to the Lord. Honor him with our lives, our trust, and our obedience as unto a faithful creator who does all things well in his time. He's never late. There's never, he's never been caught by surprise. Nothing ever, ever has puzzled him, and his plans have always, always gone as planned. David writes, Behold, he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Point number three, the deliverance given. Well, then came that last seventh day. What would seem, no doubt, like a very long week. And that number seven, by the way, is coming 
back again and again in this chapter and throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's a great study. The number of perfection, that number of uh, completion, uh, setting apart, most clearly seen, of course, in, in the Sabbath, the end of creation when God was done, it was finished, and now there was the people entering into that, that, that new world, that rest that was laid out for them. Notice in verse 16, then and then only, Joshua mentions to the people at large that today this city will be, uh, will be given to you. He had not done that before. <clears throat> but this would happen after they would shout. Obedience had to be followed by God's given instructions. In verse 17 to 19, Joshua give, gives them further instructions once the city is fallen. First concerning Rahab, the harlot. If, uh, and if they'd been paying attention, the Israelites, they would have seen that rope hanging on the wall. They didn't know maybe what it, what it was about, but they have passed it six times already. There was that rope hanging out of that window. And Joshua honored the faith of Rahab, and she was going to be saved just as she was promised. The true spies are going to fetch her. Also notice a strict warning about the spoils of the city. In verse 18, they were not to take anything of the accursed thing if unless they would be accursed. Uh, uh, don't take anything of the accursed thing for they would be accursed themselves, accursed themselves and they would bring it upon the nation of Israel. <clears throat> and we're told a little bit of that here because in light of what's going to happen, to happen in the next chapter with Achan. So I'll, we'll look at it a little bit more further in that chapter. But the accursed thing or the devoted thing refers to idols, garments, anything else that was in the city and it had, had its anathema on it. Jericho was rich, of course. There was precious metals. There was other goods, and it would be very tempting to take a few here and there with you while their people are being slaughtered. Their idols and all their temple artifacts would be there for the taking, and they're warned, do not take it, lest you become accursed yourself. Now the Lord claims the precious metals for himself, for the treasury of the Lord. In this first battle, he takes the first fruits of that battle. Everything belongs to the Lord. All that is in the earth is his, and he takes that for himself, takes that back to himself. Remember how uh, Solomon was strongly reprimanded when he had not done so. He had done half a job, but he kept some of the, the cattle and, 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 and spoil for himself, and he was, uh, that was actually the the start of his downfall because he was disobedient to his purpose as a king to wipe out the nations. So this would have been another test for Israel. They were forbidden to enrich themselves in an opportunity to get quick rich, perhaps. Matthew Henry writes, they were promised a land of milk and honey, not a land of silver and gold. And hoarding Sinful hoarding would not be an option. Joshua is here just doing what Moses, by the Holy Spirit, had said 40 years before. <clears throat> ye shall deliver their kings into thine hand, 
thou shalt destroy their name from under the heaven. There shall no man be able to stand before thee until thou hast destroyed them. The graven images of their gods he shall burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire their silver or gold that is in them, nor take them unto thee, lest thou shalt be ensnared by them. For it is an abomination to the Lord thy God. Also, in the latter verses, verse 26, they are warned not to rebuild the city and to undo the great miracle and to rebuild it again. And actually, someone, of course, someone did 500 years later. His name is Heel in 1 Kings 16, 34. And when he started to build it, he lost his son. And just as Joshua had written it, when he was putting up the gates, his last son died as well. Verse 20 and 21 takes us back from the warning into the story. When they had walked the city seven times that day, the priest blew the horn and shouted, and the people shouted with a great shout. This was an act of faith. They had to shout, even though it seemed very odd that a great city would crumble in a way like that. Earlier, they had to put their feet in the water, and only then the water would break, pass, or uh, open up. Noah escaped the flood by God's grace, but he had to take the warning serious, and he built an ark and went in it. Simon Peter, when he had a terrible night of fishing, and when the Lord came and said, go on the other side, did what he was told, and his nets were filled. Similarly, when the disciples are told to start dividing the, the five loaves and two fishes, they had to do it, and only then would the miracle be performed. Obedience are, and faith are two sides of one coin, a concept that James shows us, that faith without works is dead. Well, they receive their reward for their obedience. And as soon as their collective shout ran out, the walls fell flat. Walls that took years of construction, planning and sweat and blood, maybe lives, came down like a house of cards. Their works of their own confidence was destroyed. The city lies open, the Israelites pour in and finish off those that did not die when the walls came down. The walls had houses on it on top of that. The uncertainty for the last seven days was finally lifted. The walls crumbled down. Mercy for them, but wrath on the people of Jericho. After 13 trips, they would see once again the the raw power of God's mercy right in front of their eyes. As Henry says, as promised, Deliverances must be expected in God's way, so they must be expected in God's time. Lamentations 3, 25 and 26. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should wait, should, sorry, should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Or as Ephesians puts it, <clears throat> watching with all perseverance, remembering that in due time we shall reap if we faint not. 
It would have been tempting, perhaps, on day five to say, well, let's start digging under the walls, bring up some ladders, bring up those battering rams. Thankfully, they did not, and they waited quietly on God's timing. Like Babel or the flood in Noah's time, Sodom and Gomorrah, judgment came swiftly and fiercely, suddenly, and the city was burned, destroyed. Both men and beasts, young and old, babies, women, were utterly wiped out. <clears throat> These nations were known for their extreme depravity and immorality. They had their moral laws, we talked about last week or this week too, um, on their hearts as well. They loved their sin. They drunk it with pleasure. These nations were devious in every way. Child sacrifice, sexual sins from every stripe, witchcraft, idolatry, and society totally giving over to sin. There was no injustice with God as there is no justice with any of God's judgment when it comes down to the judgment of God on Jericho. And Romans 1, when we see that whole litany of sins, perfectly describes them. They were by no means innocent, and they were and are a picture of men ever since, as we see in our time. <clears throat> Men left alone will continue to invent evil, Romans 1.30. And make no mistake, right? We're living and are surrounded in and by Jerichos. And unless the people hear a clear gospel call, they, and if you're one of them, will certainly be doomed. And only if we are truly to understand the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man will we say amen to all his works, even the level of destruction that we see here. May an account like this be reminded once again of the evil of sin and thank God for his mercy extended to us in the gospel. God was also protecting Israel by wiping them all out because he knew they were prone to pick up the habits and the gods of the nation wherever they went. Heathens, their religions seem to particularly stick to Israel. We pick it up and start to worship false god. God uses Israel as an instrument of doom to the nations, just like Israel sometimes, or the, the heathens, God used them as an instrument of God's judgment on Israel. Finally, salvation in the midst of wrath. <clears throat> Well, Israel was not the only one showing faith, obedience, and patience, and courage that day. And it was not the only miracle that day, if you think about it. You can picture the dust of the walls rising up, and the noise was subsiding, and there was one house that was still standing, surrounded by the mass of destruction around it. There was one little island on that wall marked by a rope of faith, the scarlet rope, a sign of righteousness and virtue. There was one house of safety, like Noah's ark, surviving in the sea of judgment that was all around it and was preserved from the wrath of God and death. One woman that had shined in a dark place 
one woman that had came to fear the God of Israel, that had in that fear not run from him, but embraced him and had gone to him. Hebrews 11, 31. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. The rest of the city had heard also about the miracles of God, just like her. But they had kept running from him until it was too late. And Rahab had displayed a high risk taking faith, willing to risk her own life. She had hit the spies. Her faith was real. She had complied with the instructions that had been given to her by the spies concerning the scarlet rope, and her house, survived, her house had survived. A picture of the security of anyone that places their trust in the God of Israel and in his son. <clears throat> she had believed, she had obeyed. There was a level of patience as well as she saw what was happening outside because her house was in the city wall. And she also had testified to those around her. Note that some of her family members were spared as well. Her father, perhaps brothers or sisters, servants, we are not precisely told who, but somehow she had persuaded them about the truth and to stay in her little home. She had warned them about the judgment to come and her house had become a little mini ark. It pictures, thankfully, that God in every age is drawing people from all nations and, and kindreds and races to himself. No matter their surroundings, where they grew up in, no matter how pagan they were, no matter the depravity of their sin, look at Rahab, scripture still refers to her in the New Testament as a harlot. That is for us, I think, to be reminded of how God draws sinful people to himself. He obviously had uh, given up that profession, but that, that, that name stuck with her for our good. <clears throat> and uh, she had been given over to lust at one point, to greed, and thought there was no judgment to come. She was alienated from God, but God drew, herself, drew, drew her to himself, and I think that was a great miracle. Brothers and sisters in Christ, is that not the account of each one of us if we are in him? Were you not in that doomed city of destruction, dead in transgressions and sins, no interest in the things of God? Ephesians 2. Wherein in time past you walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we are all, all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But like Rahab eats in his or own way, God, who is rich in mercy, quickened us, made you alive. The new birth is a miracle from God, and let us never forget it. We did not come to God by our own will, nor could we ever be. We would love to stay in Jericho, even if we saw the destruction coming, were it not for the mercy of God. 
<clears throat> not only was Rahab saved from wrath that day, but as a child of God, she would come to live with the people of Israel and under their care. She would be celebrating the feasts that look forward to Christ, as we heard this morning, in particular, the Passover. I'm sure she made the connection. And one day, we find her in the genealogy of Christ in Matthew 5. We, like her, will experience one day what Paul wrote furthering in Ephesians 2, that in the age to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. One of the great messages that the church has is that message of the gospel. There's a judgment to come, and there is that great gift freely offered to people. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can preserve you and me from wrath and from the judgment to come. Perhaps you are this morning still living in your own Jericho, enjoying and you're loving your sin, enjoying the fruit of your hands, trusting in yourself, your money, your business, whatever citadel you have made, or whatever idol it is. But be assured, as surely as the walls of Jericho fell, so surely will your day come. It might be a long time. Humanly speaking, from now, it might be tomorrow. How many people have died suddenly this year and unexpectedly? Young ones often. They would have never thought that sitting in a building like this, they would not see the end of their day. We can be so presumptuous. <clears throat> And you know, on the last day, there will be another trumpet. What will it be? Will it be to your eternal ruin? Or will you be one like Rahab, as one that was plucked out of the fire, a trophy of grace? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're once again made aware of your great holiness against sin. Father, we pray that uh, we would be reminded of that. If we're an unbeliever here this morning, Lord, would you grab hold of that person? Father, would your spirit convict them of sin and point them to the only one that can save us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, if we are believers, help us to rejoice in where you've saved us from, the great price that was paid, <clears throat> and the absolute miracle of the new birth. Father, we praise you for it, and we thank you for it in Jesus' great name. Amen. <clears throat>